Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy our review of Do the Right Thing and our thoughts on how it connects to what's happening in our country today. Right up front, I just want to say that Black Lives Matter, plain and simple. It shouldn't even be a discussion, and it's sad that it's a point of contention for some people. Before we start, I want to touch on a couple of really important things that we didn't quite get to in our discussion. Please support independent journalism. The free press is as under attack as our other First Amendment rights to free speech and assembly. And please do everything you can to educate yourself on issues that we were not taught about in school. From the Tulsa Black Wall Street massacre to redlining and private prisons. Just make the effort to understand the root issues of why black lives are disproportionately in peril every day. All right, start the show. Welcome to We Bought a Mic, a pop culture podcast here with another classic review. We're talking Spike Lee's 1989 film, Do the Right Thing. Uh, we've been getting a lot of love with these classic reviews. Uh, the PTA run that we had, shout out to Scott and Anthony on Twitter. They've been digging it. Um, but we're going to pause on PTA for this week. Um, to talk about this movie, Do the Right Thing, and more so as a way to discuss the uh, sort of turmoil that the United States finds itself in right now. Um, and, you know, we kind of took a little bit of a, of a mini break uh, for the week here and thought, should we, should we even do a podcast is is there even a point to this anymore? Is anyone going to care what a what a pop culture podcast has to say about the crisis that we find ourselves in? But and of course the answer is yes. <laughs> the people need to know what the Wabam boys have got to say about mm -hmm. this. Well, I so, mean, we tried we tried to do to be able to discuss what's happening in society by doing it through what we know best, which is movies. And this is like one of the most timely movies ever made. Uh, it's one of the most important films of all time, uh, without a doubt. I mean, Spike Lee's third film, and he made a movie that still resonates so much with society and balancing of love and hate in every person that's in this story and in this world. Yeah, and also beyond uh, beyond just the like never ending evergreen relevance of the movie, uh, it is also one of the best movies I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. uh, beyond tone, beyond theme, which are all on point, it is brilliantly written, unfucking believably shot, um, which we can talk about. I yeah. can talk about the shots in this movie for fucking hours. It's it's um, a but it was mostly just 
yeah it would mostly just be me going like that one where there's he's like over them and then like under oh dude like that those are my thoughts on this movie it's a visually stunning trademark copyright we bought a mic uh film uh so we're gonna get into it but we should introduce ourselves first i'm Ernest. i am hunter i'm drew um skimble shanks is retired I've decided it's not yeah. just uh, a hiatus anymore. Skimble Shanks has left the building. Um, Cats 2019 really didn't have the staying power that, that I thought it might in our cultural discourse. Turns out seems, there's more important things happening in the year 2020 than more Cats discourse. It se- yeah. yeah, it seems like other things are, are going on. And I, I'm not going to uh, have a thematic name involving any of those new things that are happening. I heard I, I heard Skimble Shanks um, passed away from COVID nineteen. Well, that's what the cops are saying, but I mean, I've seen the video. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're now at the point that we can make jokes about coronavirus because it is still <laughs> happening. We are in a pandemic, but it feels like a lifetime ago that that was our biggest concern uh, with society. I know that it was, and it was in fact one week ago. Yes, yes. The, this has been the longest fucking week. Man, how it, many times have we said that this year? This year alone, we're in a moment right now, and if anything, that's what we're gonna try to navigate on today's show is to acknowledge the moment that we're in right now and try to voice our thoughts and feelings about it and also talk about a great fucking movie. But we should say that. Don't come to this show expecting this to be the place to find good commentary on race relations in America. So please seek out other places, preferably people of color, black people talking about these issues. There are so many uh, great creators and podcasters out there that you can watch and listen to. I um I actually just listened to the press box who had two journalists from the ringer on to kind of take over the show and talk about what they're seeing on the ground from Washington DC and um Minneapolis and I really really recommend that one. So, you know, we we like to have fun on this show. We like to crack jokes. This this episode's probably going to be a little bit more serious than usual, but we're not the um the one-stop shop for like that type of of actual hard-hitting content so that being said that doesn't mean that we shouldn't address the issue and that we shouldn't talk about it at all because that's part of the problem well beyond our discussion of it as well uh the call to action i'm gonna go ahead and editorialize Ernest is a little peek behind the curtain here. Ernest may or may not be the one doing the lion's share of the work behind this podcast. Uh, in the description for this podcast, we got to have a shitload of donation links uh, because that's that's more important than m- almost anything that we could say about what's happening. And I, I have links for days, including uh, multiple spreadsheets that each contain dozens and dozens of links to... Uh, you know, esteemed like legitimate charities, uh, like bail funds. Bail funds are huge. Get out of jail. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. From the local of, level all the way up to the national level, it's really important right now. I mean, instead of uh, donating to us on Anchor this week, just put your money towards these funds. Specific. I mean, I 
donating directly to Black Lives Matter and stuff like that is important, but also just doing so much on your local level, uh, working with people that are in yes. your community that are working specifically. That's what most of the bail funds and stuff, the things that you can really focus on your community. Like we are all based in Orlando right now and Orlando has been better than a lot of places. I mean, I saw videos of Tampa yesterday where it was really just so troubling to see an hour and a half south from us, the heinous acts that the police were doing. But uh, I mean, I'm trying to come at this from, I mean, we should say of our podcast, there's two white guys and a Colombian guy. Um, Ernest being the Colombian person of the pod. Sorry. Yeah, but um, I, I, my skin is very white. So I, I don't really, I, I have definitely experienced my fair share of kind of quote unquote racial injustice for being Hispanic, but it's not even close to being to the level of what black people go through every day. So I, I, I've gotten a, a small taste of it, but it, I can't even imagine what it's like for actual, you know, black people and African-Americans. I'm also, cause I'm saying this all to say from the point of view that I know for a fact that I come from a place of privilege. I know that, I mean, I didn't grow up wealthy or anything like that, but I still was able to go get an education to get a job without having these hurdles. I knew that anytime I did come home, I was always able to be taken care of with food and whatever else. Um, But that doesn't mean that we cannot recognize as human beings the the injustices that are going on in the world right now. Um, we might even, uh, a couple people that might be tuning in for the first time, we might turn them away from the podcast because, uh, we, uh, probably myself specifically are going to say some things that some people might not be ready to hear. More people are ready to hear it at this point. Uh, there will be, I will say at least three points, uh, during the podcast where I will scream from the top of my lungs, all cops are bastards. Um, so get ready for that. Could you but, warn me too, just because of my headphones are really yes, loud? Okay, yes. Yes. A cab. Yeah. Um, yeah, just, I, that's kind of the state that we're at right now that, and I will say, so I, I went to a, um, to a protest in a March in Orlando, uh, a few days ago at this point, uh, it was on Tuesday recording us on Friday and it was really nice to see how many non-black people were out there. And it's unfortunate, but I think that this might be the thing that maybe does lead to some kind of a change. Maybe it's just a little bit of optimist in me that is hoping for that. Uh, The other three police officers who were involved in the George Floyd murder have been um, have been arrested. Again, that's only the beginning of the battle because people like Zimmerman were arrested and then acquitted. Same Trayvon with Martin's killer. Trayvon Martin. Uh, same thing with Rodney King back in the 90s. So just an arrest doesn't mean everything. That doesn't lead to overall reform. But the fact that these officers were arrested and people are still marching does give me just a little bit of hope. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to talk about this issue. And I think that, you know, this this movie encapsulates so many of the issues perfectly, but it doesn't encapsulate all of them, all of them, period, because it's so complex and it's so layered. And the way I've been feeling about this lately is I think that the fact that we're in a pandemic has really 
amplified this problem. And obviously, we it does feel like we're at some sort of breaking point, and hopefully all of these protests lead to some sort of actual change. But I think that us being in quarantine for two months put us in like a pressure cooker, and people were ready to pop. It, it, it just this was the fire that set off a whole thing. And obviously it's awful what happened to, to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and Ahmed Aubrey and all these other literally thousands of people. If you start going back years and years and years and, and if this feels different and this feels like a turning point, but the fact that it's happening during this coronavirus pandemic, I think it has people way more, agitated and 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 riled up than usual and, and um a lot of people are able to attend these that wouldn't if they had a job right because we have so many people who have lost jobs yeah well that's part of the anger too is the record high unemployment you know it's so kind of multifaceted and one of the biggest things that do the right thing kind of touches on this a little bit you know that you have these moments where the characters are just like screaming at each other at the top of their lungs but this is the first time you know when, when this happened back with Michael Brown and Ferguson um we were we were all living together at the at the Plaza apartment and I remember that I'll never forget that I'll never forget seeing the news and seeing Ferguson in flames after the murder of Michael Brown and that felt big, but this feels so much bigger because of social media and because of the internet. And I think that the pandemic made it so that we became so much more codependent on our devices, even more so than we were before. We were already on a trajectory to being like hyper-connected through the internet and social media. And, and, and the pandemic um, intensified that. And I just want to urge people to really pump the brakes a little bit on how you engage online through social media, because you don't know what people are going through right now. This is a tough time for everybody. You don't know what the person on the other end of your fucking Instagram comment or YouTube comment or Twitter thread, you don't know what they're going through. So I think that part of the reason why this time is so intense and, and just taxing is because people are just so ready to attack each other for one reason or another. And there's so much hate and there's so much vitriol and, and anger. And I think we, all of us, need to just approach this with more civility and unity and compassion and social media it makes that more difficult you know so make an effort to talk about these things face to face or zoom to zoom or you know phone call the phone call whatever try not to do it via social media because i've seen a pattern of people just going for the fucking throat on everything well i mean and, we haven't even Oh, sorry. I mean, it's not black and white. There's gray areas. So I feel again, I just feel like social media makes things binary. It's it's making us think like machines like black and white. And it's it's not that black and white. 
it's layered, it's complex, it's multifaceted. There's a spectrum to all of this. Well, I mean, we haven't even mentioned Trump yet in this discussion, oh. which is that's adding a whole nother layer to this cesspool of angst that we have in society right now that we are just trying to look somewhere, anywhere for some kind of a leading voice, somebody to tell us that everything will be okay. And we, there's just nobody there. I mean, I saw this like really telling image that was five years ago, just about a, a part to the day where after the pulse shooting, um, where the White House was illuminated with the rainbow uh, lights and everything else. And then almost five years yeah. later, the lights are out. Like that tells you everything that you need to know about there's anybody there. Obama didn't even really like do a great job of solving this. Like this still happened while he was president and he didn't step in there, but at least it was like, there is an adult in the room to kind of talk people back just a little bit. Um, and with not having that at all, with instead having a president who similar to a lot of police, his job is to de-escalate and all he does is just instigate even more and cause more civil unrest is just adding a whole nother layer to it. And I think that's what's leading also to the whole binary mindset because that's everything with Trumpism is that just you're wrong, you're wrong, this is right, build a wall. Like that's everything that he preaches and that has kind of infected yeah the rest of society as a whole and the white supremacy of it all too you know trump is a white yes. supremacist and these maga heads these racists they feel like they're so much more okay with being racist like oh you know the president's a racist so i can just be a racist all i want and that just amplifies everything else and it makes things even worse but Again, just to go back to my point about social media, I, I've i had to make an effort not to look at it, and I feel so much better. I deleted Instagram and Facebook off of my phone, and I, I understand the importance of keeping up to date with all of this, these updates, and, and seeing what's going on. But at a certain point, the imagery is so upsetting, especially Twitter. Twitter now, every time you open it, is just an endless barrage of police violence. And we have to think about what that's doing to our mental state, to our psyche. Like, it's not healthy to just, like, consume that level of upsetting imagery without any sort of filter. It, it, it's, it's got, it's, think about your mental health, you know, keep up with the, with the with the updates and stay up to date but i think that part of this problem is a mental health problem it is it's a it's a difficult balance to strike on an individual level because uh one of the i think more critical things and important things you can do on social media is try to amplify those same videos uh because they are not getting news coverage and millions and millions of people have no clue that the police are really <laughs> fucking up left and right right now. And they uh, know they're being tape. filmed. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it, if you follow on Twitter, uh, Jordan Uhl, he's, he's a journalist, but yeah, Jordan UHL, uh, he is making compilations of all of the police brutality going on, which, like you said, is very, very difficult to watch and upsetting. 
uh, and then he provides download links to these videos so that you can post them wherever you want because these videos are not circulating on Facebook or uh, Instagram, but especially they're just not reaching like the older audience the way that they are reaching people on Twitter. Um, so it's very important, like as as far as posting goes, that's one like method for for productive posting. Uh, if you have an audience that contains people that don't already know about that, which is something to keep in mind. If if you were preaching the choir, that's one thing. Uh, but then also, uh, you know, I'm far be it for me to tell you how to post. I don't post much, but resources that actually help people uh, are very very uh, valuable to post. The black square thing was a joke. Uh, it oh. was it was it was a bad idea. It it failed. It's and now it's at this point it's already hacked to even discuss that mm -hmm. because it was just like a silly thing from the start. Uh, counterproductive. Uh, the entire point of it was to like essentially go silent for a day in solidarity. You can only do that if you've been loud in the past. <laughs> you yeah. cannot you cannot be like you know what just for today I'm not going to say anything about all this stuff. No, you. Bro, Trevor, you've never said anything about it. <laughs> you can't just do that. You yeah. have to be actively aiding, like uh, post links to bail funds in your local area, post anything that can further and uh, also other people's perceptions of what's happening. The, the issue of them hashtagging at Black Lives Matter and completely erasing like over a week's worth of activists and protesters sharing valuable content for the movement completely being erased by black screen so that when you looked on the hashtag it was just full blackness yeah full it was dark. An, that was an, an abject uh, disaster um however i do really think that there is a place for posting right now like i i'm not one to get into massive fights online uh, that do not change anyone's opinion however uh amplifying the side that is not getting amplified on news networks is very important right now because people are simply not seeing an entire side of what's happening. And it's insane. It's brain poison for the older audience. All that they see is rioters doing bad things. They have yes. no fucking clue what is going on. I also think that, I mean, not to push back too much against what you said, Ernest, because I think that you are right. That is for mental health people do need to take a break. But I think that one thing that is good that's coming out of all of this is that a lot of people, people of color specifically, they don't get to take a break from this life. Exactly. They, they are constantly having the state of fear of like, what do I do if I get pulled over? Is this going to be the end think about if you were like if i was a parent right now what age do i tell my child that uh tell him about what his relationship should be in the, with the police especially if i was a black parent right now like at what age do you have to go ahead and like destroy your kid's innocence and say this one person who you are taught that you can trust and you can go to if you're in any kind of trouble actually is dangerous and harmful to you like, that's why I think that it is, well, it might be good to, like, you shouldn't just spend all day on social media because that will kind of drive you insane. It is good that so many people are constantly posting and posting all around the country, all around the world of different yeah. police and justice, because I think that this is making more and more people aware of how 
massive of a problem that this is in society. This isn't just confined to your inner cities. This isn't just confined to your New Yorks and your LAs. This is happening all over the place. This is happening in Buffalo, New York. This is happening in North Dakota and wherever you are from. Like, this is happening right there. And I think, you know, to the to the point about the complexity of it and the spectrum, the gray areas, I I think that social media again erases a lot of those gray areas because the the artificial intelligence the algorithms they tend to favor that more upsetting imagery and posts of peaceful protests just don't get as much as much traction as the you know violent police brutality content um it's 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 a sad sad reality <clears throat> of how Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all these platforms, uh, how their algorithms work. Because people, it's just more shocking to see the the violent shit. It gets more eyes on it. So I, I think that that's why Do the Right Thing is so perfect because it really captures that gray area. It shows all the characters and all their flaws and it shows that no one in this movie is a good guy or a bad guy. It, every person in this movie is capable of good and evil, just like all of us. Like every day when we wake up, obviously, like there's varying degrees, you know, more people are, there's people that are capable of more evil acts than others. But we make a choice every day when we wake up of what kind of person we want to be and, and what kind of choices we want to make. And you know, I, I, I like that there are moments in, in this movie where it paints even the cops in a little bit of a, of, a, of a fonder light. And it paints the black people in a little bit of a harsher light because the shit is not that clear cut, you know? And, and it's actually more destructive for this movement to put people in these camps and assume that just because you're black, that you're one of the good guys. And just because you're a cop, that you're one of the bad guys. It's actually more destructive to do that than to approach it with this level of more nuance. It's, that nuance does not exist on social media. What's funny is that, uh, this movie was, uh, you know, pinned by a lot of people as something that would incite riots. <laughs> when it when it does paint like a really, really uh, multi layered picture of every character in this movie, which is what you would call good character writing. Uh, you can't just yes. have you can't just have a movie that's a bunch of Pollyannas and then a bunch of awful people, because um, then you'd have the Avengers. Um, <laughs> exactly. Which, you know, I don't personally need uh, much more of that stuff moving yeah. forward. Tony uh, Stark is a cop. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I mean, literally, yes. All Iron built, Man's are bastards. <laughs> he resulted in so many deaths in the Middle East, uh, as you, you <laughs> yeah. can glean from Iron Man One. It's really brutal to rewatch. Man, that is a Bush America movie if I've ever seen one. Dear God. Um, but yeah, the to i mean the same thing happened with joker which which is a significantly worse movie of course but people thinking that 
uh, an audience will go from sitting in a theater watching something happen to being like, okay, now it's time to make that happen. <laughs> I guess and, I got to fucking burn this theater down shit. Yeah. Do you think there are people out there who think that this, all of these riots are like a delayed response to Joker? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! I, no, I, that's that's the white supremacists. That's the outside instigators that are coming into towns. They're all wearing Joker masks and just lighting things on fire. Yeah, trying to find local TV hosts to shoot in the face. Yeah, that's exactly. It is. It's just it. I, but you are you guys are completely right. The movie doesn't end with Sal's Pizza burning down. The movie ends like there is a whole resolve a whole coda to the film where it's Mookie and Sal still kind of like just kind of doing a little conversation afterwards like they aren't necessarily like making up being friends but they're just kind of shooting the shit with each other and Sal has that whole moment where he's just like I built this with my bare hands like every light fixture in here I put in I did this work and now it's all gone and I do I do think that that is uh, very necessary for the times. Um, I won't defend the police officers in this movie or in uh, real life too much uh, because, uh, once again, all cops are bastards. Was that was that a good enough warning for you guys? Um, but I think that there is some kind of uh, layer to sympathize with the Italian American characters and trying to get in touch with them. Um, Trying to get, like, not, sorry, my watch is yelling at me. Um, and trying to Dude, your watch, stay in touch your watch with their own heritage. connecting to the cops. Probably. Ah, oh, fuck them. Um, I got away with not getting tear gas the first time, so who knows. I completely lost track of what I'm saying. This movie is very multifaceted, though, with what it's trying to say. It's trying to say every character is the Radio Rahim speech. Every character contains both love and hate. Every character is both has the characteristics of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. in them. Really, Smiley is like the only pure soul that's in the movie, and he's trying to preach to these this entire street corner the importance of MLK and Malcolm X. And with this photo of the two of them coming together of the violent approach and the peaceful approach and but he gets he taken doesn't ad- have the way to articulate that he gets taken advantage of he gets swept up into the fucking well, yeah. craziness well the other reason that this movie is more uh, multi-layered than what we're seeing now is because it is less focused on the systemic issues which are like very black and white uh you know like we we got to delineate there there are systemic problems with police that go beyond like, oh, you know, good apples and bad apples. There are systemic, uh, very racist policies that need to be objectively changed. Uh, and yeah. this movie instead- The root, the root problems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I'm all for anyone who is over trying to see uh, both sides of the argument there because there are not two sides to that argument. Um, however, uh, this is a movie that is uh, based on characters and is based on- uh, discussions really. This is just a movie. For the most part, we're just uh, a very vibrant cast of characters is just paired up and grouped in different groupings, and then you see what discussions are had. When oh, let's see when he's with her, when she's with them. Like let's see what discussion would take place. Uh, and also, uh, you know, very appropriately, it's all 
very in like a, a theater writing style the entire backdrop of the play is uh heat wave much like yeah. some sort of like tennessee williams type shit you the know? hottest day of the summer in brooklyn before before we get away from the cop conversation though i did just want to say that i think that if you're trying to get at the root of the problem with cops there's so many ways to tackle it you know you've got your white supremacy problem and and figuring out a way to how to screen officers because I, I think it's just too easy to become a police officer you know you 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 sign up you go to training you get your badge and and you're in and i think too many of them are uh veterans with uh post-traumatic um stress syndrome and they uh, don't have the mental health care counseling that they need when coming back from the war and they have all these issues that aren't being addressed in a healthy way and they're channeling them through being aggressive officers then you have like police incentives to you know like um quotas and things like that and that's usually carried out in super racist ways yeah um, because and- there's more crime in black neighborhoods because of the economic issues and the wealth inequalities that happen where black neighborhoods don't see any of the wealth that they um that gets is being sucked up to the the top the billionaires and and the millionaires yeah there yeah there are certain uh really black and white issues that can be be not easily changed obviously because they're going to fight tooth and nail to not change but yeah uh, the lack of accountability the fact that the cops investigate the cops when the cops mess up yeah, uh, <laughs> that's 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 what's happening right now with these protests is they know they're being filmed, they're still being violent on camera, and it's them basically saying, like, I get to do what I want and I get to get away with it and yeah. look, watch me do it because yeah. you can't do anything about it. The and thing be- is, the thing is though that there are still some, I mean, it's not necessarily we can't overall the whole thing at night, but there's even things like I have some problems with it because I don't think that it's will fix every problem. But uh, Campaign Zero has been kind of trending with the eight can't wait uh, yeah. approach, where they just it's, it's all statistics bait that where it's just like you ban chokeholds and strangleholds and strangleholds require de-escalation, require warning before shooting, duty to intervene, kind of little things like this that any mayor in a city can pass tomorrow. Yeah. And the police force has to follow, has to abide by these rules. Well, they tried to do that when Ferguson happened. When Michael Brown was killed, a lot of those things were attempted, but there was no follow through. Right. And that's why it is good that despite these arrests happening, people are still going out and are marching because I feel like we are getting smarter in society. And maybe part of that is... Uh, almost to the credit or to the discredit of Donald Trump that there's so much distrust in society that people are reading more instead of just trusting what the higher powers are saying. Because I think that people, I mean, there's a whole coalition now that is coming out like Republicans against Trump just because, well, for one, Joe Biden has some very conservative ideas, so it's not sacrificing too much. But also I think that even Republicans are looking for some kind of a person to turn to from a leadership position. And everything that he's spouting off is just kind of nonsense or not what people want to hear. So people are doing their own research. Yeah. But there's people that love the racist shit. 
That's the other oh, thing. Yeah. It's like this no. is an issue where it, you are just supposed to care about other people, man. Like these black people that are marching out there, they are just asking to be treated like humans with respect and dignity. And when you have somebody like Trump in, in charge and people looking up to him and seeing what he's uh, leading with, with his words and his actions, people feel like, oh, I can be as racist as, as I want, you know? And, and in, in Do the Right Thing, there is this, the, the um, um, what's his name? The uh, John Turturro character, Pino. He sort of embodies this, this way of looking at black people like they're a pest, like they're an infestation, like they are, are scum. And that is what we have in 2020 right now. Like people who think that it's okay to view human beings who deserve to be treated with respect and dignity like they're rodents and that need to be exterminated. And it just baffles me. It like breaks my brain to think that that's the, the, that's the bar that we have to, to, to cross, you know, to pass. That it's just a matter of basic decency, that you just have to treat people with kindness and compassion, that there's a whole section of people in this country that just can't even do that, that think it's okay to just not care about other people. Unbelievable. So Do the yeah. Right Thing uh, is a great film. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, so to bring it back to our discussion of Do the Right Thing, um, I think that this is, I think it's the best uh, all-in-one-day movie ever made. kind of goes into a second day. Kinda, like a little, like just yeah, kind of like the very scene. end of it. But I, I consider this like a 24-hour movie. Yeah, this is a one-day um, movie. And this, it's kind of incredible. Not only does it take place in one day, it all takes place on one block. The budget for this movie is like insanely low to the point where, I don't know if you guys know this, they, uh, the pizza, you might've wondered why Sal's pizza looks a little bit gross. They could only afford to buy two pizzas um, and they just had to keep reusing those pizzas. <laughs> and I noticed them this time that there's a scene where John Turturro is like cutting a pizza. And he's like air cutting the pizza because yeah. he couldn't actually cut <laughs> I it. I noticed that too. Um, but that's, it's, is kind of incredible that you don't need a budget to tell a good story like this because six, six million dollars. So, yeah. Six million, um, which is actually higher than I even thought that the budget was. Yeah. For time. 1989. But, relatively unknown actors and all this i mean danny aiello was the biggest name guy but he wasn't even a big he was like had a little bit part i think he's in godfather 2 yeah he's, he was known as like a um, character actor a classic new yorker though like a, you really couldn't put in a better italian to own a pizza place because he's on the wall of every pizza place in new york because <laughs> I, I did find out this them. did you know that um who spike lee originally wanted to play sal de niro Jack, yeah de niro yeah. Which I don't know if it would have. I don't. I think it might have been a little bit worse because I think it would have been a little bit. It would have become too much of a De Niro film. Yeah, it you, would have taken away from it a little bit. You don't want to root. You don't want to root for Sal too much. Right. Like you don't want to put a guy in there that's like total scum, but you don't want like a mo a big movie star like De Niro. So I think Iello 
uh what's his name Aiello. Aiello. yeah um i think he's the perfect uh guy for that role was nominated for best supporting actor mm-hmm. for, uh at the academy awards so we don't have a second review this week this is the only episode we're doing this week so it's going to be a little bit long so i think we should let's let's go like I, i'll pull up the plot on wikipedia and we can go we can go in order and and sort of move through the 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 movie in um in order uh before i start though i just wanted to say that um we actually did talk about this movie briefly about a year ago drew i remember you brought it up yeah i um, saw it for the first time last year um and i thought it was pretty good <laughs> yeah and i thought i had seen it back when you brought it up um but when i rewatched it i realized that it was very vivid in my head up until like maybe the third a third of the way through like the first act not maybe not even that like up until when the um the guy drives his uh his car his like convertible through the fire the 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 fire hydrant um that's everything up until that point i remembered and then it was like all new to me so i was like i guess i like put this on at one point and then just didn't finish watching it so i w- it was very nice to like pretty much see the movie for the first time um so we start with an amazing uh like musical dance sequence yeah probably the coolest opening ever uh, just like the most objectively cool thing to look at like in life is watching rosie perez just fucking dance her ass off during the opening to credits. public enemy to, yeah also the best uh song written for a movie ever that song was not a song before this movie came out it was written for this movie because that's, spike lee was friends incredible. with chuck d and it's one of the most like iconic ballads yeah. like just ever. It's such an intricate song. It plays just throughout the entire movie. It is like the heartbeat of the film. Yes. Um, and also, I mean, Rosie Perez, this is her first movie. She's Rosie so Perez good. before this, she was a dancer. She was not an actress. She had no plans to ever be an actress. And Spike Lee like ran into her at like a bar or something like that. It was like, yeah, you're gonna be in my movie. <laughs> She looks great, and uh, I, what did I just see her in? She was in Birds of Prey, and I was just thinking, like... And how was that? <laughs> seems like a waste of talent. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking, like, damn, I wish she was a better shit, because she's good. Um, so, we open with Spike Lee himself, Mookie. Uh, he is a pizza delivery guy. And well, like, actually, we open up with the sweet sounds of Samuel L. Jackson's That's voice. right. Yes. As the love love daddy himself. Yeah, he kind of is is the MC of the whole film uh and he gives wisdom when needed and it, yeah, the whole like and that's the truth, Ruth. Uh His or- uh his, I know, I'm assuming it won't just be in the plot description, but one of my favorite moments in the entire movie, I think I've seen this movie like four or five times now. I need to just get the criterion already since it is out. Um, but uh, whenever he does the roll call and he names off like 60 different uh, black musicians, they're yeah. like some of the most important black musicians of all time. Like just always gives me chills whenever you hear all their names, the the Janet Jacksons and the Whitney Houston's and the, the Otis Reddings and 
like the list goes on Chuck and on. Berry. And all the, Chuck Berry. Yeah, just of all these, like some of the most important people to all of music, not just black music. Yeah. It's just incredible. And I, think I feel like this- every radio station does that now. That whole like roll call thing where they just have like different musicians pop up in there and say their name. Yeah. And I got the impression that like, only this block was listening to this radio station. Yeah. He was talking like directly to like the people he could see from his window. Um, but I, I think that there's um, there are several moments in the script, which is only written by Spike Lee. He's, he's a sole credit on it. So he wrote, produced, and directed, and stars in it. Like amazing. Uh, kind of, I feel like kind of underrated auteur Spike Lee. Like he... I feel like doesn't get the credit that like other oh, no. big white auteurs get. Of course mm-hmm. not. No, he's been fucking railroaded for like three decades. Yeah, That's like brutal. unbelievable feat. Um, so I, I just I'm I'm sorry. I don't want to get too off of this because I did. I just looked up who he lost to for uh, the Oscar for screenplay because it was a big deal when he was nominated. He did lose to Tom Schulman for Dead Poets Society, mm. which, I mean, I this is a better movie than Dead Poets Society, but I also love Dead Poets Society, so I can't credit too much. The nominations in this category this year are insane for best screenplay. We have Dead Poets Society, Crimes and Misdemeanors, a Woody Allen film, and like right in the tail end of Woody Allen's peak, Do the Right Thing, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, and When Harry Met Sally. Hmm. That's an mm. unbelievable five piece for best yeah. screenplay, best great. original yeah, screenplay. Yeah, great year. Good Lord. And this is the best screenplay out of all of those. And the oh, winner, down. the winner of the Oscar, Driving Miss Daisy. Boy. <laughs> well, that's that's what I was gonna mention with with Lee's uh screenplay is that he manages to fit in all of these tiny nuggets that kind of like philosophize about the glory of black people and why they should be like beloved. And it's not in a way that's like ham-fisted or like preachy or anything like that. It's, there's these tiny moments where it's just, you just get the sense that he just wants to communicate like, hey, black people created rock and roll. Like there's even a moment where he says like they, they created civilization. And you don't have to have those things in a movie like this but the fact that he included them lets you know that he is thinking about these topics and that it just adds to like the background and like the tapestry of the story and it elevates it because then it becomes more than just a movie about a disagreement over a photo on a wall. It it just, it adds this like weight to it that he manages to like, sneak in all it's not even sneak it's 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 not that subtle usually but if you're not if if you're casually watching the movie and you're half paying attention to it you're not going to catch those things um and you can just watch it for like the surface level story um but now that i'm looking at the at the wikipedia plot summary it's actually not that good so i'm kind of like skimming around on it (laughs) It well that's the thing a lot like not really much happens in this right. movie if you're talking about the conflict of the movie it's bugging out giancarlo esposito young giancarlo esposito so like, good I, just comes in there he's kind of like overacting in the best possible way his name is bugging out for a reason um 
It's just he goes into there, sees a wall of fame with no black people, tries to make a uh, a ban, a protest against Sal's. That escalates, and then Sal's burns down. If you're just just stripping it down to the conflict of the film, but so yeah. much else happens in between all that. Like that doesn't even mention the Mookie character at all, which Mookie is kind of he's kind of the audience surrogate of the movie. And so yeah, just kind ways. of navigating the neighborhood, kind yeah. of and, I mean, in and out, he talking is, to us. Yeah, he's ta- he, well, he's literally talking to us, and also he is kind of the um, the bridge in between the black culture of the neighborhood and working for this Italian American who has the only restaurant aside from the Korean uh, supermarket across the street. Yeah, like they have the like only restaurant there, spot. so he is like kind of the bridge in between everybody until he's kind of faced with a choice of what to do and he throws the trash can through the window but i'm yeah. skipping it so well why well, I, I think the the main thing that we need to address is that this movie it doesn't present itself as like a big sort of plot driven movie it for the it's a 2 hour movie and i feel like for the first like hour plus it's very loosey-goosey with its plot. It's filled with these like really vibrant shots where you just get to like admire the cinematography and the production design, set design, the costumes. There's like really cool camera work and framing. And that's sort of what carries you through most of the movie. It's like disguising itself as like this laid back hangout movie. And very, very slowly, it starts to get a little more tense, but not in a way that like jerks you around or jars you. It's like no, because it is it is a slow scene. simmer. We have other plot lines happening. We have Mookie with his like child. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, they're they're uh, weighty plot lines all around, but also they are like you said, it's it's such a breezy watch that it almost defies the heaviness of the movie until, of course. Uh, it is the not turn. avoidable anymore. Yeah. yeah, and when that happens, that turn, it doesn't feel like the movie's betraying itself. It feels like, like it, it does kind of feel like it snuck up on you a little bit, but, but in a way that's like, oh yes, like I'm happily surprised that this movie like just went all in on its plot. Um, I will say though that watching this movie in the middle of this crisis with these protests it was tough it was really tough for me and i this is a movie that i think everybody should watch right now but it's not a movie that'll that that'll say that it's easy to watch with what's happening because when that turn comes and when shit really starts to go down i i had to pause the movie like it it hit me to too hard it was too fucking real and lee and i were watching it together and we we actually had paused it like earlier on halfway to just kind of like talk and like let it simmer for a bit because we just had so many thoughts and then when we got to that climax it was so emotionally devastating because of how pertinent and relevant it is again a 31 year old movie is like the most relevant thing yeah, and even even down to the minute level, because there are certain discussions in the movie that t- when I watched it, I was like, th- I have to keep checking the year it was made. 
particularly like like the tiniest thing but when spike whenever spike lee is talking about anything racial with john torturo uh <laughs> and he's talking about like you know you know why you do your hair like that like you want to be yeah. black that's that- that's one of the best uh exchanges in the entire movie is like who's your favorite athlete who's your favorite basketball player michael Jordan. Yeah. who's your favorite uh singer um and he's just like i know you're a prince guy he's like bruce um yeah. eddie murphy think, favorite movie star i honestly yeah, like i do love everything that john Turturro does in this movie because he role. is a very real person it might be like my favorite john Turturro performance and everything but that is an exchange that people of color still have with ignorant uh, white people just people who don't understand their culture all the time where they say well but they're not really black or they say like they'll say something offensive about a society of people and they'll with their friend who's with them and they'll be like, but not you, like you're different from them. Like totally disregarding their own culture and upbringing. Yeah. And that's uh, just the, the notion of uh, individually like loving and appreciating uh, black culture, the way so many of us whites do and then being dead silent during a time like this mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, obviously just couldn't be more relevant at the moment. To to absorb all of the the content and culture that we absorb that is directly attributed to black people, and then to immediately turn our back, or it, not even turn your back, but just keep your back turned because it has been this entire time, is just it's disgusting to me. Like, look at yourself, look at every, you know, look at your entire life. How much of it has been informed? Yeah. By this, and it's and you're, it's just nothing coming from you and it's not just white people and black people and i think that that's what's so genius about this movie is that it has the korean guy in there it has the puerto ricans it, it, it the italians like it shows that hate is not just from a certain demographic and it shows that that it's not just one type of 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 race racial group of people being victims of racism everybody is out to get each other and and people are capable of such ugliness and i love that this movie uh approaches that and unpacks that and it really helped me like try to work out a lot of of my feelings about what's happening right now because it just perfectly shows you that all of these people are flawed and are capable of horrible things i mean to that point that's another probably like it's one of the most spike lee moments because he's done a number of films uh specifically i'm thinking because i just watched 25th hour for the first time pretty recently but the whole the montage of uh, hate slurs that yes. different societies are saying towards each other, that the Italian dudes are saying about the black people and the black people are saying about the Italians, the Koreans are saying about the, the Jewish and like all this stuff and like them zooming in, just talking with the camera. It's this inner monologue of like hate that they feel that they are like burying down. It's a peek into their subconscious and how they feel. And it shows how everybody is filled with this extra level of just pure hate. Yeah. Like just plain and simple hate. And and I think what Spike is trying to say is like, 
he's trying to say like, don't think you're exempt. Don't think that you're not part of the problem and that you're not capable of being part of the problem. Everybody is in the same boat with this. And, and obviously, I, I don't think we brought this up yet, but obviously I think that one of, one of the things that this movie also gets at that still rings true today is, is the, the, the power dynamics, right? And, and the fact that like, if you're a white cop, you have a certain power that you hold over another person that, that means that you should be more careful with what you're using with that power. That, that just because you have that power doesn't mean you get to kill somebody and get away with it. It means that you should be careful about what you're doing. And, and I think that those little, those little nuances are in this movie, you know? So, so when the cops are introduced, right, to back up to that, the, the kind of beginning of the movie, it, it shows that, that they're not immediately uh, out to, to fuck shit up. Obviously they are talking to, what is that guy? Like an Italian guy. He's like, he's pretty much an Italian, the, convertible guy um but they they're like telling him like dude you're full of shit you didn't you you know you don't have anything for us you don't know who did this we're not gonna just go out and and arrest somebody just because you're telling us to so whatever move on deal with it but then those are the same cops the exact the two exact same guys who later um you know kill Radio Rahim. Another uh, thing that I wanted to bring up, which I was thinking about a lot um, while watching this movie, because I had like, I was, I just watched this movie. And I also just listened to To Pimp a Butterfly, the uh, masterwork Kendrick Lamar album from 2015. And that one uh, shot that's uh, whenever the police officers are leaving the neighbor and they drive past. Uh, Sweet Dick Willie and uh, the other like the older black people is like kind of heartbreaking it made me think back to the um, intercut conversation that Kendrick has with Tupac at the end of Temple Butterfly where they say this is when you need to go out and uh, fight now while you're young while you're still lifting weights because whenever you're 30 they take the life out of a black man in this country and you can tell that these are people that are just like they're kind of just like used to it they're like they they just know that there's nothing else that they can do they know that there's injustice and you have the where both of them say what a waste the police say that about the black people and the black people say that about the police officers and it's just kind of leads this whole thing where like as you get older you just kind of get complacent with it and just kind of think like well i mean this is the way that it's always been now i've lived this long and there's no way to change it at this point especially if these people have fought to change it and have failed and have barely moved the needle because that that's what gets so disheartening about these types of problems is that even though you try so hard to change things and and you see Martin Luther King get assassinated and you still don't see massive change like that's the type of shit that really gets you to feel that way and to feel well, like mean, there is no hope. 
I mean, so whenever I was, I, this will be the last time that I mention it, but uh, whenever I was like doing the march and everything, at one point we did, we walked on our way from the city hall of Orlando to the Orlando police department. And on our way through, we walked through this lower income neighborhood and there was this uh, old black gentleman who was probably, if I was going to guess like in his like seventies or so. And he saw us thousands of people marching past his house and he came out and he was crying and he said, I can't believe that you guys are out here. I marched for the same thing 60 years ago and still nothing has changed. And I was like right in front of him. It took everything in me and not just like openly like sob in front of him because it's so heartbreaking that, I mean, just like and this movie is 31 years old and it hasn't aged a bit. It's the same thing with just racial dynamics yeah. in general for in, the worst that in, they in haven't some, In some ways they've got, things have gotten worse now. Yeah. You with know, the destigmatization with, of Nazis and white supremacists. Exactly. With Trump in office, it's like watching this movie, it's like, damn, things were like kind of better back then a little bit. I mean, obviously, the, the big thing that is different today is that obviously, you know, with smartphones, everybody's filming everything and we're able to capture things that would would just go unnoticed and unaccounted for. Um, and also you know, there's just more inclusivity and diversity with the movement. Um, at these marches, it's people of all ages and all colors marching together. It's not just black people marching for black people. It, it is a more sort of multifaceted movement of people. And I, I think in that sense, things have gotten better. But when you see the cops in this movie, they're wearing like thin little blue shirts with little batons. And today they have like fucking full on riot gear with like massive guns and shit. And it looks like they're ready to just fuck shit up. Like they're yeah, not fully militarized. Yeah. They're just there to deescalate though. <laughs> yeah. Bullshit. I, uh, one thing to bring it back to the movie, but also on the same track. Um, I think, uh, Mama's sister is one of my favorite characters in the entire movie um, because we talked about this whole love and hate dynamic and you see in the very end of the film that she also has that same dynamic in her. She's somebody who is this very compassionate. Everybody on the block just comes to her and like kind of talks to her and people come around, do her hair and stuff like that. But when South is on fire, she's there like cheering. She's just like rejoicing because she thinks that this is some kind of injustice. Even though earlier on the film, she's just like, yeah, you know, it's pizza. Like, yeah, we, why do I got anything about Sal's? I don't have anything thought, against that. And I thought she was upset. She's just like, no, she's cheering for them to burn it. Like, she's just like, yeah, yeah. When it's on, when it's on when the, it's, on fire, and the mayor goes yeah. up to her and, and hugs her, I I figured she was upset. She looked distraught. I think that she is upset at that point. But whenever, like maybe it's before Sal's is actually on fire. But whenever they are, like whenever Radio Rahim gets killed, and everybody is turning onto Sal, yeah, and she is she is one of the she becomes kind of part of that. Uh, that mob mindset where she is just kind of just there. She's ready for blood and rightfully so because she's just like, well, the police aren't going to pay for this and somebody has to pay for this that has happened right now. There's a dead man on our streets. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this, the climax of this movie because there's so much happens. So 
the whole movie, Bug It Out is trying to recruit people to boycott cells because they won't put up any pictures of black people on their wall of fame, um, even though they only have black customers eating their pizza. And Sal says that he's only going to put Italian-Americans on the wall because he, it's an Italian-American-owned restaurant. And his two sons help him run the restaurant, and there is this sort of internal battle uh, within the, the father and his two sons as to like how to handle this. Because on one hand, they don't want to boycott because they need their place to stay open and their uh, delivery boy is uh, Spike Lee, Mookie, who is a black man of the block, of the community. Uh, but then, you know, especially John Turturro's character, uh, Pino, he is just so hateful. He's just filled with hate. He he hates the black people and he he wishes that they just, I guess, weren't there. Like he just wants them gone. Yeah, he's, he's so annoyed with them. He he sees them as like filth and scum and 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 infestation. So just so much anger and so much hate. So that all of that builds, you know, bugging out. He recruits Radio Rahim, who, you know, he has that love and hate speech with the with the knuckles, the the kind of gold brass knuckles or whatever, which is a really good moment. But there's these other moments in the movie where you kind of do get the feel that this is this is a aggressive dude. He's a big dude. He walks up to the Puerto Ricans unannounced with his boombox and just like is showing his his strength through his boombox and his music. And it's just kind of staking out his ground and being like, yo, I'm here. I'm big. Uh, don't fuck with me. So. Again, that nuance that Spike is so good at in this story and, and, and showing every character in like multiple, multiple lights and, and, and layers. Um, bugging out recruits Radio Rahim and he recruits the, um, the other guy. What's his name? Um, Sonny? No. I don't Ooh. know. The the guy with the photos, the guy with like the the stutter, smiley, smiley. Okay, yeah. Uh, recruits both of them to go up to Sal's and tell him what's up and tell him that they're they've had it. They want black people up on the wall. They want pictures of black people up on the wall. And Sal, it, that that scene, everybody just starts screaming at each other. It just escalates, it escalates, and I. I you know, you you can try to point to like what's the the turning point, what what's the 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 key like instigator in this conflict, and I don't think there is one. But I think bugging out, walking in there with, you know, wanting to start shit is bad. But he also has a point. You know, he has a point because he gives his money to his establishment. He knows that all of these people love the pizza and love eating there. And he feels it's wrong to not have black representation in a black neighborhood on the favorite restaurant uh, of the neighborhood on the wall. So again, layers, different, different sides. Well, I mean, and before that, we have the moment where Sal is talking with Vito and Pino and, P and Pino John Turturro is trying to tell him like, you should sell this place. You should get a place in our neighborhood and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff. And Sal says, like, 
these people like they love me like i've fed these people i've watched these people grow yeah grow up Over and, years it's, and years. it's this dynamic where you can tell that he cares about the black people but he doesn't care about the black culture right and that's kind of a dynamic that is also in this film where he's just like i care about my italian american culture I don't really care about the black culture. I like you as like the black people that come in because I've seen you grow up. I feed you, you live off of my food, everything else. But this is my establishment. I get to put who I want up on this wall and I, it, you don't get to tell me what to do. And I mean, dude, he gets so mad because he hates the rap music that radio yeah. Raheem is playing. And he, you know, ultimately if he doesn't see the humanity and the people that are going to his restaurant all the time, he's 100% part of the problem. And, and he is a little bit of the, the architect of his own demise if he just sees these people as a transaction and, and doesn't see them as human beings who deserve respect. That's not to say that bugging out was, you know, in the right for coming in to this guy's uh, place of business and just fucking cussing him out and, and and screaming at him. Because then what starts to happen is everybody's screaming at each other. And in that moment, I was like, damn, this is this is Twitter right now. This is fucking Instagram comment sections right now. Like everybody's just absolutely screaming at each other without any sense of what they're saying or any handle on their emotions or anything like that. Yeah, I mean it all it all shifts when Sal like throws the N-word out and like yeah. get this shit out of my out of my place. And then like from that point, that's when everybody turns on him and there's like, oh, so we're saying this now. Like, okay, so like this is how it's going. Yeah. And then that's whenever it escalates to a he grabs level the bat. and then he Yeah, the bat. He grabs the bat and again, instead of hitting a person, he hits the boom box. Right. So he could have easily started just beating somebody up, but he's not that kind of guy. So he beats up the boom box. But of course, it's Radio Rahim's boom box. You don't fuck with that shit. And it is so, representative of black culture, which right. We just Once said, again, it's destroying respect. it's destroying black culture. It's not against the black people themselves. Exactly. So then Radio Rahim grabs this dude by the throat. And starts to fucking strangling the life out of him. Like, this dude looks like he's about to pop. And I, everybody's uh, screaming. I mean, we've talked about Radio Bill Nunn is, like, one of the most menacing. His his performance as Radio Rahim is, like, one of the most, like, frightening things. Like, and, and whenever he pops. Otherwise, he's kind of just this, like, lovable, large man. But whenever he gets angry... It's just you see this whole other side of him that he just actually uses his massive physical imposing uh, posture like to just really just... (laughs) He clearly, he loved his boombox. You know, that that thing was special to him. That was a part of him. And now this dude just wrecked it, absolutely destroyed it. And now he's going to wreck and destroy him. He, he can't control himself. He's consumed by anger. And he is going to kill Sal. Like, he is going to fucking kill him. But then the cops show up. They wrangle him off. There's a whole, like, tussle. And the cops, they, they save Sal's life. 
but then they don't stop there and they keep strangling radio rahim and this is when like i started to get really anxious watching this movie because i i realized what was about to happen and it was so I was, hard to watch i was not able to rewatch it um i watched it last year i remember it uh clear as day and i knew that it would not be uh it was it was rough. Yeah. It was I've really the, rough. I've seen this movie four or five times, and I'm still like sobbing every time I see the ending of this movie because it's just it's so you're seeing what's happening in society right now, which is just like no, just escalating something instead of de-escalating something. Exactly, it's, it's going far and beyond what should be necessary to end a situation. If they would have just kind of just separated everything and moved everybody along, everybody would just get gotten pissed at each other, but they would have moved on with their lives. Mm -hmm. Or knock them unconscious, you know, it's something, anything to just deescalate again, to just stop the, the situation from getting out of hand. But they take this man and just strangle the life out of him. They, they, they murder him. And then the real kicker, the real thing that just gets you in the fucking heart is the cops take the body, they put it in their car, they drive away, and the neighborhood looks on as the cops leave. They, no, not a single cop stays. You know, this whole shit just went down, and all the cops, they just killed somebody, they all leave. And everybody looks on, and it's perfectly communicated that this is not the first time that this has happened to these people, and that it won't be the last. And they're seeing Radio Rahim get driven off, his, his body get driven off, you know, for good. And they, you can just see it on their faces that they're like, damn, there goes another one it happened again and that's the same story you know for 30 years for 400 years shit like it just it's at a point right now you know watching this movie in 2020 where it's like people are just tired man it's it's got to be enough of this it just keeps happening it keeps fucking happening and something has to make it stop um and and that this is this is the moment where like i had to pause the movie and just like holy shit this is this is too much um and then uh okay then yeah then it keeps escalating even more because then the 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 tension is still there you know and radio rahim is dead and then we get the moment that everybody sort of sort of returns to this moment to, to kind of gauge like where you fall on this movie, but Mookie grabs a trash can and throws it through the window of South. After thinking long and hard about it. Too, yeah. It's not like a spur of the moment thing. He makes the choice. He, he, you know, this entire movie is about agency and in the moment doing the right thing. Exactly. Yeah, and it's also, so I've been doing a lot of, research into kind of theories about this movie and just kind of digging and stuff since uh, revisiting it again recently. And it is interesting that some people take from the idea, and Spike Lee has never actually disputed it, 
that the reason why Mookie throws the trash can through the window is actually to change the attention of the hatred and the destruction away from Sal himself and towards his business. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. People have all this angst and anger, which is a read that I haven't ever really had on the movie. I thought that it was just tension spoiling. The way that I read it is because people are challenging Mookie to do something because he is someone who like I said before, like he is a bridge between this black culture and the working for this Italian American man and people in his own neighborhood are challenging him. Like Mookie, what are you going to do about this? You have to be the one to act on this, even though he has been this passive audience agent throughout the entire movie. And he finally does make that choice that he will uh, destroy this because of the what the injustice caused towards somebody who he cares about but i never i never read into it before with the whole angle of him diverting the angst and the anger but that is he's kind of saving sal's life but i think that it's a movie it's not real life i think in real life you know you have this crowd of people it's what 30 people let's say crowding around in front of the restaurant. I think in real life, the crowd would have split and you would have had some people looting and then other people fucking bludgeoning Sal. It it wouldn't have all gone into the looting, but symbolically it works because Mookie is making a choice to save this man's life because he's he's about to get killed. Like they just saw his actions lead to the death of Radio Rahim and everybody just wants to just divert their anger to him and fucking just pile up on him and murder him. But he, again, he, he, he shifts it to the building and it makes it so that they burn down the building instead of killing the man. And that's, that's just one facet of the ambiguity of the ending here because, uh, by the way, it is so poetic that this movie lost to driving Miss Daisy um, because you know the, the you know Green Book, <laughs> like it, shit does it just has not changed, uh, and it's reflected in who we award and what way we want people to address race. The sanitized version. We want the, the yeah. Easy we want saccharine. We want racial dynamics for babies. Uh, we want to kill a mockingbird, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a really good gauge for whether or not a movie is actually transgressive and is actually addressing a problem head on is if it was easy to make or not. Any movie that addresses race like Green Book, uh, that movie was not hard for them to get green lit. <laughs> like that movie was like as safe as it fucking gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie uh, was really tough, not not to generally get made. It was to generally get made just because it was like a, you know, a smaller budget uh bigger project for uh you know six million dollars however uh spike had so much pushback on the ending of this movie he uh he was signed with paramount to make it uh through almost all of pre-production and they wanted the end to not be this they wanted it to be uh sal and mookie getting along and being happy and uh, he immediately left Paramount because of that. Because, and he was at, he said, 
he said that meeting was on a Friday and they were at Universal on Monday morning because wow. Yeah, because he knew how he wanted his own fucking movie to end. And he knew that that would ruin the entire impetus of the movie. So uh, you're so, talking about even before the Rahim death or after I the Rahim death? Uh, it's not clear about that, but oh, okay. I would imagine that they didn't want much of a, a riot scene at all. Right. And, but at the yeah, at the very least, yeah, they wanted it to end with them getting along. And also... It, but it has to be uh, before the the final conversation because that's its own issue in this mm-hmm. movie. The uh, morning which, after, yeah, the morning after they, uh, Danny Aiello and Spike have this discussion, and it is not they are not going at like as at each other's throats as you may expect, but they are also not uh, getting along. It is somewhere in the middle ground there. Um, Lean, you know, leaning toward not getting along, but they are not fucking killing each other. They are sitting and talking. And uh, Spike actually had written it to be more of a, you know, a, a clean tie-up of the movie. He wanted, like, on his own accord, he had it so they got along at the end, or they they reconciled in some way. Like, he had Danny Aiello saying, like, you know what, I, I was wrong, and he decided not to include that. Uh, partially, you know, just to help the general ambiguity of the movie, but he won't say like the exact reason. And this was like a last minute change he made to the script. Well, and I- that is endlessly fascinating to me uh, because it makes the movie better. Yeah, that there isn't an easy ending, even 100%. after all the descri- uh, all the destruction and ex- polar opposite viewpoints. To have them get along at the end of this movie would be such a dumb fucking move that yeah. I'd say I would say ninety nine percent of screenwriters would make that happen, mm-hmm. and to not do that is a stroke of 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 genius among probably like five hundred that he had while making this movie. Well, well, Mookie's character is part of that genius because he paints his own character as like kind of one of the most flawed characters because he. He's a shitty worker, man. Like, he takes forever on his deliveries. He goes and, like, talks to his girlfriend. He's talking on the phone while on the job. And he's not a good uh, lover. Father like, he's or a lover. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. RIP, and, like, Hector just got no love in this movie, yeah. uh, his own child. But hey, man, I do that, think, that ice so, cube scene, though. So, I, oh, hey. Um Oh, which, by the way, I have I have some uh, bad news about that scene that I did find some digging. So that was Rosie Perez's first film. She did not like that scene. She did not not want to do that. There's a reason why you don't see her face in that film is because she is crying during that scene because she did not feel comfortable doing that. Oh, no. They've since, like, resolved this issue and everything else like that, but she just, she was really worried about, like, what her parents would think uh, seeing her nude in Her nipples? Yeah. Um, so that's not great. I knew that going into this viewing experience, and I was like, oh boy, this seems rough. Um, Especially because it's the director who is uh, yeah. making physical contact with her. Yes. Not the uh, best. That's not what you want. Um, if we are going to have one fault with this movie, that would be the thing. One thing that I do think is interesting, though, is if you go into Spike Lee's other filmography, this isn't the end of Sal's Pizza. Um, Sal's Pizza, I know it makes an uh, appearance in Inside Man, a movie that <laughs> I absolutely love. Nice. The the SWAT team or whatever gets Sal's Pizza delivered to them. And in the 2012 movie Red Hook Summer, Mookie 
like the character Mookie returns as Spike Lee and he delivers themselves pizza. So you're almost led to believe that Mookie and Sal did reach some kind of mutual understanding and kind of came together after this film, even though they're like not, they can't of course resolve everything one day. That's what I was going to say about the ending is that it feels like, like it ends on this kind of crane shot that pans all the way out and it just sees the the destruction of the fire and then there's just people going about their day there's some people playing basketball Mookie's just walking down the street and it, it makes it look like this this fire this event is just not the end of the world for them it's just another day well it's and- a symbolic thing it's them like just trying to take out the angst that they have in that moment and just wanting somebody to pay for this crime. And that's why like, I get mad when in modern days, like people are highlighting the looting and the rioting. I get mad for a lot of different reasons because sometimes those aren't even for people who are for the Black Lives Matter movement, but that's besides the point. Um, It's more so about people are angry and they want to send a message. And that's what they're trying to do. That's what Spike Lee is trying to represent. In this yeah, movie. and property can be replaced and human life cannot. Exactly. And if you want to try to place a numerical value on a human life, you uh, should maybe think about doing that before you do. Because <laughs> that's yeah. not how it works. But then it, that just goes back to my point about the the anger right now and, and where it should be directed to. I, I think right now people need to make more of an effort to direct their anger towards things that are constructive and and productive. You know, if somebody, if you see somebody post something about how uh, their business that was already struggling from the pandemic got burned down by looters and how, you know, they feel sad that that happened, maybe don't attack that person, you know, because they said that they're sad that their business burned down maybe direct that anger towards something more positive and and constructive you know that that's my whole point about like social media being like this minefield right now and and everybody just being ready to fucking pop off on each other approach things with more compassion direct things towards the individuals themselves and not towards the movements because i like most like 99.999% of these protests are completely peaceful. They're just people marching through a city, trying to gain awareness, trying to have public speakers talk about how we can make change in the society. It's not people burning down cities. Most Mm -hmm. of the violence is caused by police officers or by the counter protests uh, with white supremacists, which is a whole nother fucking basket of apples. But don't direct your hate towards the store owners in the same way that you don't direct your hate towards Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Well, and by Uh, the way, there are, you know, a lot of these businesses, the smaller ones that are getting affected are, have been already fully funded to reopen by like GoFundMes. Uh, And if mm -hmm. you can, you know, if, if you can do that, then do that. I will say before we wrap this up, uh, there's a couple other things to move backwards on this movie. I actually do think this movie is pretty funny. I know we've oh, been dude, this has been a really very funny. this has been a very serious podcast just given Hunter, the climate and everything. Um, this movie Hunter, is incredible. I'm, I'm sure you agree with me on the funniest moment, right? 
it's it's when they're uh fucking pestering the Larry Bird jersey yeah. guy and they find out he's not even from Boston. That's not the, the best part. Guy. It's just like go yeah. back to Massachusetts. I was born in Brooklyn. Oh that that's me whenever I remember that Hunter's not actually from Boston. As I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a New England Patriots shirt as we do this podcast. It's yeah. only appropriate. No, that I mean that moment's incredible. We haven't even talked about DeMayer. Um, I love who is him. just he's I mean, shout out to Ozzy Davis. Incredible just, actor. Uh, he's such so a tragic good. comic character. He's so good. And he is like a beacon of life in this film that he's just kind of this dude who you could tell at one point did have all these aspirational hopes and now they've just kind of beaten out, gotten beaten out of him, and now he's just kind of this drunk. But instead of wallowing, he's just he creates so much comedy in the movie. The point where he like pulls over the child is just like, how much will it cost you to run for me, run the store for me? <laughs> like 50 cents. Here you go. <laughs> tell me, tell him that you're getting a Miller light for your, for your old grandpa who's in bed. Oh my God. When he's in the store and he's arguing with them about not having Miller high life. I, oh, Edward, I really so think good. I'm so happy that the Korean store is a thing in this movie because one, it brings in extra culture, but it does, there's a few different like key comedic moments that wherever uh, Radio Rahim goes in there, get batteries and he's blasting the music and he's just like, D motherfucker, D. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Um, Again, with the aggression though, it's like everybody, again, this is, because it's the hottest day of the summer and it's just like hot blood in everybody's veins, but it's like every scene just advances that anger a little bit more. It just pushes that needle all the way until the whole movie just has that climactic moment with the fire and the riot and the, and the murder and everything. But I think that's one of the things it does so well is that every interaction between every character is an argument to some extent, even if it's petty and and ultimately meaningless, like everybody's just on each other's nerves on this movie a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Another, uh, I have a couple more notes about this that I, I know that in a lot of ways, Sal is kind of like a fatherly character to Mookie, but I feel like Mookie would have gotten fired by now. <laughs> if he takes an hour to deliver a pizza that's like four four buildings over. Like, well, the talking I'm on sure the phone he, part, you know? It's yeah. like they need that phone to get orders and you're just chatting. <laughs> he, he's gone for an hour to deliver a pizza that's like, what, like a, less than a quarter mile away? <laughs> like, what? How is this dude not? I know that you can reach out to somebody else for a job to just walk these pizzas over. Um, I want to shout out the costume design again. Um, I love the Jackie Robinson jersey that Mookie wears, the number hey, 42. Shout out, shout out to Ruth Carter. Uh, it's that's Spike Lee's just she has done so much stuff. She finally won her first costume design award uh, for Black Panther a couple of years yeah. ago. And that but was like a worked, huge deal. Yeah, she I mean, she's been nom- she has been nominated like countless times for I think she was nominated like 20 times or something like that. Yeah. For getting a win. She's done a number, number, numerous uh, different films. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, really, really great costuming. Uh, just vibrant colors all around, but also the colors that everyone is wearing, uh, like, actually does uh, reflect their ideology, their, yeah. their, their racial side. And also, uh, just set decoration 
Uh, or I guess that location bright, scouting. The bright red wall there that is, those three yeah. guys are sitting by. There is, there is red everywhere in this movie. And they're on location, so there's only so much they can do. Uh, it just, it feels hot. Like, yeah. it feels hot when you watch this movie. Yeah, like, you can just feel the heat wave. And, uh, yeah, it, the, the cinematography in general. Ernest Dickerson is the, the DP. Mm. And it's so stylized, you know. Um, it, it, there's just some camera work and some framing that's really good. A lot of low angles where you can see the bright blue sky and like the the cool like um, facades of the Brooklyn buildings kind of poking in. Um, and then the, those close-ups that are just like way up in the actors' faces are really, really effective. The music also I think is really great. There's tons of tracks uh, from... Public Enemy to uh, take six, steal yeah. pulse, like Can't all sorts. Stand of, the heat. Yeah, all sorts a, of good shit. I also just think the score is really good. Uh, Bill Lee is the composer who's like really only worked on a couple of early Spike Lee films, and then he didn't really make much uh, in recent memory. Um, but I think I think that he's passed away now because he was born in 1928. There's so. one moment that really stuck out to me um, where it's like this fast sort of jazz buildup where mm-hmm. it's Sal and Pino like talking. Um, and Pino gets really uh, riled up about the um, smiley guy, like the track that's behind, that's under that scene. It gets so tense, uh, and I really I thought that one was really really effective. I do want to correct. Uh, Billy is not dead, and I am very sorry. He is ninety one years old. So shout out to Hell Billy. Yeah. I, I hope you live for another ninety one years. Because um, I do think that the score is incredible here. He also, I mean, he has a couple other scores. We should say we were planning on doing a whole Spike Lee podcast, which I'm still down for. Because I've just been diving into Spike Lee stuff, and he is, I. We mentioned it before, but like I feel like he just doesn't get talked about as much as he should as one of these like iconic directors from yeah. the 80s. Like he has made so many masterpiece films just over so, the So many are, different movies. Like if yeah, you no, look at his catalog, it's like there's a lot of variety of so many different types of things. And just mm-hmm. so many things too. Yeah. He's just incredibly prolific director. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, people would say that that uh could be a detriment to his canon because he's made things kind of like a Soderbergh. He's made like masterworks and he's made things that are like not so memorable. Uh, but my God, when he hits, he fucking hits. He hits like as good as anyone else in film can. And uh, history will smile upon Spike Lee's filmography. He, he has just never, ever gotten enough love. He's getting more and more as the years go on. We saw the reception he got for Black Klansman at the Oscars that unbelievable ovation that he received. That was amazing. Yeah. And once again, Black Klansman lost Best Picture to Green Book, a movie that gives the most watered-down take yeah. on racism in, uh, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Don't I'm, get me. <laughs> I'm down, I'm down to, to maybe take a look at Inside Man or, or Malcolm X. We also have um, The Five Bloods dropping on Netflix mm-hmm. in about a week. I think a week from today it comes out. So, I want to watch uh, She's Gotta Have It because I've watched a good amount of the Netflix series based off of it. And it's a really, really good show. That would be uh, interesting. That I've recommended before. 
It would be interesting for you, if we still do a Spike Lee thing, for you guys to at least watch it. Um, I have some serious problems with She's Gotta Have It. The filmmaking itself, though, you can tell, like, I think it's his first or his second film, and you can tell, like, oh, this guy's got something. I don't necessarily love the movie. It's not uh, close to my favorite thing that he's ever done. But. It's his, it's essentially his first movie. He has something else called Joe's Bedsty Barbershop We Cut Heads. Um, but it, it looks like one of those movies that you can't find anywhere. <laughs> so this is essentially his first movie. I mean, this is... Yeah. And it was made for 175K. Yeah, because this is that's essentially his first movie. Because then he made School Days, I believe, before mm-hmm. um, do the right thing. Before do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So I I I've been wanting to watch Malcolm X for a long time. So if if uh, I vote for that one, so the listeners get a little bit of uh, behind the curtain right now as to which one we'll dive into next. We'll definitely do Defy Bloods because there's going to be a lot of attention on that. Uh, but if we have time. We'll try to do, um, I mean, there's no other new movies coming out. So we could do like several of these. I think- We haven't even done Trolls 2 yet. Are you fucking uh, kidding me? Yeah, I'm ready for it. I, I've seen it multiple times, unfortunately. I think, uh, um, I, I, think I would rather do like individual uh, movie reviews than like a top five. Um, just because we get more time to kind of dive into the individual movies. Um, but I, mm. I, if you're looking at, at Spike Lee's canon, you know, it, the, the top, it, it, I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with it, so I can't, I guess I can't really speak to it, but. A couple other movies of his, that if you do just, if you do watch Do the Right Thing and you want to get more of an idea into, uh, some of this stuff, I would definitely recommend Malcolm X, um. I really love his early 2000s run that he goes on with 25th Hour is like kind of known as the first New York movie post 9-11 and you can like see ground zero in that movie and it's really really powerful um it's all I mean it's also just an incredible movie about a somebody who is convicted of a crime and going to jail in their last day before they have to go before they have to go to prison uh, it's Ed uh Norton. yeah at norton yep uh that's an incredible movie inside man i have sung the praises about multiple times i think the movie is incredible um inside man I is a big to... uh it's a big cable movie i remember that being on all the time on like tnt it's just like i mean it's very different from what he's done in the past but it's like the best version the best possible version that you can ever have of a bank robbery movie and they have uh, hostages and it's just like a hostage situation starring Denzel, which you can't really beat it. Um, I think Black Klansman's great. It is on Hulu, right? Or no, it's on HBO right now. So if you have HBO, definitely check that out. I need to go through and watch some of his older stuff like uh, Jungle Fever. Uh, Bamboozled is now on Criterion. He got game. Um, Like I need to go through some of his earlier stuff, but uh, he's also, I mean, one of he's known a lot for his nonfiction work with uh four little girls and he has a a docu uh documentary about the uh hurricane katrina um so i mean he has a lot of documentary credits yeah i he's known as an incredible non 
and shorts and and tv specials like if you look on his imdb he has 93 directing credits so my guy works um so yeah that is a little bit of a sneak peek at what you can expect from us over the next couple weeks like i said we will talk about the five bloods next week and and we'll try to to fit a a catch-up ep in there as well um we just wanted to kind of take this week to sort of breathe a little bit take a take a step back and and acknowledge the the moment that we are in because we are in a moment and i think it's up to everybody to figure out what your place in this moment is and how you react to it and what you think about it and how you feel about it mm-hmm. and i urge everybody listening to this to do something don't think that you can't do anything don't think that it's not worth it don't think that you can't change anything just try if you have have to be huge uh if you have no money to donate there are now there are many uh videos on youtube that they spotlight black artists and they are just packed full of ads and you can just leave them on in your background and all of that ad revenue will go to uh good charities for uh, like black lives matter or bail funds anything of that nature so you don't even have to have money to contribute a little bit and it's worth doing we'll have links in the description of the podcast yes um with with resources of how you can help uh if you are organizing protests of any kind do not use zoom because zoom uh has agreed to not encrypt any uh conversations had on its free version in order to help the police uh get organizers use signal it's an encrypted uh text messaging and phone call app um uh maybe carrier pigeon uh paper airplanes i think are good too if you fold them correctly um and better yet you know we're in a pandemic and you have to do what you got to do to keep yourself and your loved ones safe but face to face you know i i i can't wait to see you guys face to face for the pod again hopefully next week will be our 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 next our first week back but i think that that's one of the main things that is making this situation so terrible is that we've been put in a position where we're not able to be as physically connected as we usually are and it's and it's making people more anxious and more tense and try to have conversations about this crisis this problem you know it it i me earnest i can choose to not be racist like i can do everything in my power every single day to be as anti-racist as i possibly can but that's not going to change society that's not going to th- flip a a switch in our system and change everything for that to happen it's going to take everybody's effort to whatever you do you you know in whatever work you do or social circles that you're in or whatever to address this and talk about it and and do something to make black people and people of color feel respected and acknowledged and loved and and dignified and human that's all they're asking for and 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 hopefully we'll start to get to a place where they're not being 
killed for not doing anything, you know, and, and innocently Wouldn't that ending be crazy? their lives. What a wild world that would be. Um, I think it's just up to everybody. I think it's it starts with just having those tough conversations and 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 stepping up to just talking about it and talking through it and how you feel and what you think yeah. because staying silent is just not cutting it. Do the right thing, everybody. As as the mayor says, Mookie, do the right thing. That's it. That's all. Yes. So stick around till next week. Oh, I um, haven't I, I haven't met my quota yet, real quick. So let me just meet it real quick. All cops are bastards. Woo! All right, now we can got, got the headphones off in time for that one. Okay. Please um, uh, hope check, you folks at home did too. <laughs> please check out all those links in the description uh below for where you can donate and, and help out um with the 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 protests. And we'll probably tweet out some stuff as well over at We Bought a Mic on Twitter. Um, so stay strong. You got this. Everything's going to be okay. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. You know why they call me Sweet Dick Willie? <laughs> Maybe cut that part. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep that one in there.